athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. You're locked into the dopest show on radio, from the press box to press row. I am your host, Donald Ware. Got a whole lot to get to on today's program. There are a number of different topics to touch on on the program today. The big game is set. The Rams going to take on the Patriots. And I had, you know, I had the Rams beating the Saints last week. And ultimately, at the end of the day, and of course, we're going to talk about the pass interference call. But more specifically, sort of moving forward, does the National Football League need to now use instant replay or you not instant replay, but use replay even further i think it's too much replay uh to be quite honest with you and you know there, there to me i mean even sometimes when it's been times when replay has been used and the call still wasn't right it's open to conjecture it's at the it, it, it's at the determination of the official that uh not only made the call but more specifically the referee that reviews the play um, you know, I, I mean, I got a lot of thoughts on that whole scenario, including also overtime, because ultimately the Patriots beat the Chiefs in overtime. I actually had the Chiefs winning that game, and certainly the Chiefs had their opportunities. So we're definitely going to talk about that today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. The Baseball Hall of Fame has opened its doors to four players, Mike Mussina formerly of the Baltimore Orioles and the New York Yankees, to Edgar Martinez of the Seattle Mariners, to Roy Halladay, who played with a number of teams, including the Blue Jays, and then also to the greatest save man of all time, Mariano Rivera, all being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I got some thoughts on that, I want to talk about that today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Speaking of Hall of Fames, it was announced by the the North Carolina Hall of Fame, uh, that or North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame, that Rod Broadway is going to be inducted into the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. Congratulations to Coach Broadway. It's well-deserved, and that's this is just a stepping stone. Of course, it's local to the state of North Carolina. To me, it's just a stepping stone to ultimately one day being voted into the College Football Hall of Fame. You look at, when you think about the totality of what he accomplished in the state of North Carolina, was a great football player in high school, was a really good player at UNC, uh, went on to be an assistant coach, including under Steve Spurrier, where they won a national championship at Florida. He was an assistant coach 
at Carolina, then ultimately became the head coach at North Carolina Central and led that program. I mean, that program when Rod Broadway took over was not a very good program. They were still in the CIAA by the time they were making the transition to Division One. Um, that program it was undefeated. There was that if I if I remember back the 2006 season, North Carolina Central was undefeated, undefeated that year and hosted a first round game in the Division II playoffs. Ultimately went on to Grambling, had a lot of success, including a SWAC championship. And then, of course, the success that he had at North Carolina A&T. So very well-deserved congratulations to Rod Broadway, of course, being inducted into the college or to the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. Joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row, we're going to be joined by, excuse me, Norfolk State, Norfolk State head men's basketball coach Robert Jones going to join us on the program. Norfolk State actually one of two teams undefeated in MEAC play, 11-10 and 10 on the season, 6-0 in conference play. The other team that's undefeated in MEAC play is North Carolina A&T, who's got a big game, the Aggie Eagle deal. They're going to travel to Durham to take on North Carolina Central on Saturday. But again, Robert Jones, the head men's basketball coach at Norfolk State, going to join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. If you watch, and you you know how we do here on From the Press Box to Press Row, we're going to give you sports, we're going to give you interviews, we're going to give you HBCU sports, and then we're going to give you some celebrity stuff and um, uh, interviews with some great celebrities. So um, for those that may not be familiar with Amara La Negra. Of course, she's one of the stars of Love and Hip Hop Miami and really a star on the rise, a singer as well, really making a name for herself. Um, she's going to join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Join us on the program. Why don't you hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. Also, you can hit us up on Instagram, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Thank you to those listening to us on our great affiliates around the country that carry from the press box to press row. I mean, you know, when I think about W-W-I-L in Wilmington, North Carolina, that carries the program. Um, it's been carrying the program for, I don't know, maybe three or four years now. You know, when I think about uh, K-A-L-U out of Oklahoma that's been carrying the program for a number of years as well um, just so many great affiliates around the country that carry from the press box to press row those listening to us on Sirius XM channels 141 and 142 and those listening to us around the world at box to let's get to the some National Football League talk and of course everyone is talking about the non-call that was made late in the game when the Saints were driving. They had an opportunity to uh, to really put the game away against the Rams. And, and really an, an egregious play happened. Drew Brees trying to find Tommy Lee Lewis. And before the football even got there, I mean, Lewis was absolutely obliterated by Nikel Roby Coleman. And should there have been a, 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 a penalty on that play? I mean, I don't think there's any question about it but my recollection and I know people are are really talking about it now and how it cost the Saints from going to the Super Bowl and all of that my thought at the time was okay it happened and as I was watching the game I think 
you know, they may have showed the replay like a couple of times, but nobody was, you know, my thought was, okay, that's just one play. It's not going to cost the Saints the game. They're still going to be able to go down and, and, and be able to score and, and, and do what they need to do to win the football game. And they had plenty, but this is my thing. The Saints had plenty of opportunities to win this football game. They didn't get it done. That play, was it a big play? Could they have run the clock out? They had gotten that first, or if they had, of course, gotten that play, uh, then it would have been an automatic first down. They could have wound the clock all the way down, kicked the field goal, and went home. I, I get all of that. But there were other plays in the game that the Saints were unable to capitalize before because, remember, the flow of the game, dictated that the Saints were dominating that game in the beginning. The Rams couldn't get anything going, and it was all about the Saints. So the Saints had opportunities to sort of put that game away, perhaps. They had opportunities even after that particular play, and they didn't get it done. So that's on the Saints. Now, moving forward in terms of replay, to me, there's too much replay as it is anyway. Um, My thing is this. You're going to get bad calls. I know I realize that this isn't just a regular, if you will, football game. This means a trip to the Super Bowl and another championship. A lot of money was lost. The Saints lost a lot of money right there. I mean, there's no question about that. I get all of that. But you're going to have plays in a football game where officials are going to miss calls. It's part of the game. And to further instant replay, I think, takes away from the game. Would you be getting it right uh, possibly, but look how many times we've had instant replay and if, if, if the games have been delayed two, three minutes, four minutes, maybe sometimes to uh, look at a play and, uh, you know, you still, you know, you still couldn't determine whether or not uh, that that play was what was originally called on the field. So, I mean, I think it would slow the game down. I think it takes away from the game. Yeah, I, I realize that there's an element and there are people that are going to say, well, we'll get it right and so on and so forth. I think, listen, the game has survived for however many years that the game has survived previous to instant replay. Yes, we have the technology to be able to, Um, to be able to get things right. But I think there's a human element that is involved, just like, you know, we're all human. We're going to make mistakes. And that, you know, uh, was an unfortunate mistake, an egregious mistake, but a mistake nonetheless. And to further um, uh, 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 extend instant replay, I'm definitely not in agreement with. As it pertains to the overtime rule, so we had two overtime games, as a matter of fact, but the one that most people, um, are uh, are talking about is the Saints and the Patriots and what a football game I mean the the Saint the uh, the Chiefs or, excuse me the Chiefs and the Patriots I mean I I you know I picked the Chiefs in this game uh, again you're talking about a Chiefs team that started out slow and really came on like game busters had an opportunity really had sealed the game with the interception but you had an offside and um, ultimately the Patriots went down. Uh, were able to score. They scored a touchdown to take the lead or to regain the lead at that time. Only 39 seconds remaining. The Saints, or, excuse me, the Chiefs come right back, score, tie. And listen, the Patriots won the toss. And to now want to further modify the over. See, you know, at the end of the day, this is this is professional football. It's the National Football League. You know, I, I, I hear a lot of talk of wanting uh, to to really modify the overtime rules, maybe making it so that both teams 
have a possession. I don't agree with that at all. Again, it's the National Football League. Um, it is uh, professional football at its, and professional sports at its highest level. It is not college athletics. So why do you know life is not fair. So, you know, you want to be fair because the Patriots didn't have an opportunity. What would have been fair is if the Patriots had got it or the Chiefs, excuse me, the Chiefs, if the Chiefs had gotten it done in regulation or in the event of the overtime period, which we in fact had, if they were able to stop the Patriots, all they had to do. And remember, the the overtime rules were modified a couple of years ago. So remember, it used to be sudden death. Then they wanted the rules modified. They modified them to whereas um, if if you if you kick the field goal, then the other team got the football. All the Chiefs had to do was hold the Patriots to a field goal on defense. They couldn't even do that. Matter of fact, the Patriots ran it right down their throat. Easy touchdown for the Patriots. So I'm not in favor of modifying the overtime rules. Got plenty more to get to, including. Morehouse head men's basketball coach Grady Brewer is going to join us. Mommy, where are we going? To the grocery store, honey. Oh, goody, Mommy. Can we buy an original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky? Of what? An original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky. It's really good, Mommy. Dad let me try some, and I couldn't help myself, and I ate it all, and I was hoping that you could, like, help me replace it before he comes home from work. Why would you eat all of Dad's beef jerky? Mommy, I couldn't help myself. Marjorie's beef jerky is so good, and Daddy says it's good for you. Well, it sounds like we had better buy two bags to avoid this from happening again. Thanks, Mom. Marjorie's beef jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. You can also purchase Marjorie's beef jerky online at Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com. That's Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com or call them toll free 844-340-7613. Marjorie's beef jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer. The neighborhood original. Brought to you by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Visit them at HarlemBeerNC.com. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. Actress, reality TV star, singer, Amara La Negra, going to join us in a couple of moments here on From the Press Box to Press Row. While we're waiting on Amara, I want to give you my thoughts on the Baseball Hall of Fame. This is where I stand. I think Mariano Rivera was a no-brainer first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, There's no doubt about it. In my opinion, you know, Mike Mussina is not a Hall of Famer like he was a he was a really 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 good pitcher and you know I remember he played for he started his career with the Orioles and then ultimately ended it with the Yankees and I believe won a World Series with the Yankees um, as well and a lot of times what I do is instead of using numbers to determine 
if someone should be in a Hall of Fame, I used the numbers to help me with the eye test. And when I looked at the numbers um, on Mike Mussina, I mean, if you look at his career, and, and you know, you, you all you can have war. War is a stat. Uh, you, you can have that. I don't. I don't care about war. I look at some of the numbers. It used to be a time when if you had 300 wins, 5,000 strikeouts, that was automatic induction into the Hall of Fame. If I look at Mike Mussina's numbers, he's only got one 20 win season. One 20 win season, just one. Um, so, and that was his very last year. You know, he's got a career e, uh, ERA of 3.68, and I realize he played in the steroid era. I get it. Uh, all of that. You know, he was definitely a workhorse. I thought a really, really good pitcher, but a Hall of Fame pitcher. You, you're telling me that Mike Mussina uh, is up there with the likes of Bob Gibson and Sandy Koufax? I don't think so. I mean, I know it's a different era and all that. I'm not saying, you know, I know those were extra, those pitchers were, I mean, first ballot guys. I get it. Mike Mussina definitely wasn't a first ballot guy, but I don't even think. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I just don't think Mike Mussina was a Hall of Famer. Love when he played with the Orioles. I just don't think he was a Hall of Famer. Um, also, Roy Halladay. You know, I don't I remember he was a really good player. I mean, I didn't study Roy Halladay per se when I looked at the numbers. I mean, they were, you know, they were solid numbers. So if you know, if if they say he's a Hall of Famer, then fine. And Edgar Martinez, I remember him being a really, really good player. Um. And I, I, you know, I thought he was a borderline guy. And when I looked at the numbers, he, he, to me, he had the numbers to sort of support that. So, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. As far as Roger Clemens and, and, and of course, Barry Bonds, those guys aren't going to get in the Hall of Fame. I mean, Roger Clemens, 59.5% of the vote. Barry Bonds, 59.1% of the vote. If those guys couldn't get in this go-round, um, I don't think they're ultimately going to get in. And we can table that conversation and talk a little bit more about it later on in the program. Because my first guest here on From the Press Box to Press Row, she's one of the stars of Love and Hip Hop Miami, and you've seen her more recently in the film Fall Girls on BET. She is Amara La Negra. She joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Amara, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Thank you for supporting me. I'm so excited. So many things going on. Oh, my God. You know, from week to week, I watch Love and Hip Hop Atlanta and Love and Hip Hop New York. I've been watching them since like 2011. And I've seen a couple of episodes of Love and Hip Hop Miami and really have enjoyed you on the program. How much fun are you having with Love and Hip Hop Miami? Well, you know, I mean, I realistically don't enjoy the drama, the lies, the pettiness, the, you know, the arguments, the fights. I don't enjoy that part, but I do enjoy being able to connect with my fans, with the people that support me. Um, I enjoy being able to show and, and tell my story um, with my own words. You know, I enjoy that process of being able to showcase my music and the things that I'm doing. That that I am proud of. But, you know, with the good comes the bad. Yeah. And, of course, this is the second season of Love and Hip Hop Miami. So, Talk about the show, how it's growing in popularity, and along with that, how your popularity is growing. Um, well, yeah, I would say, obviously, once the show aired, you know, um, I never expected to be uh, considered the breakout star or, or receive the attention that I did. But I am grateful because people were able to connect and they they felt connected with my story and with, you know, my struggles and what I was doing so, you know, I'm grateful for that, and I'm glad that I was able to 
um, gain a new fan base. So, you know, I try to look at the positive side of everything. You know, one of the things that came up, and I forget which episode, I think it may have even been in season one, is the fact that you're a Latina, but also a black Latina, and you're very proud of that. So can you kind of speak to, and, and, and unfortunately that carries sort of a negative connotation, so can you speak to that and how proud you are of being an Afro-Latina? I'm extremely proud of my culture, my race, my roots, um, and that's why I embrace it as much as possible. Um, I think that a lot of people may not understand the struggles or the way that some of us may feel coming from the Latin market into the American, you know, where we, we don't have as much diversity visually in the entertainment industry, you know, and that's really what I was fighting for. Um, for equality, specifically when it comes to the entertainment industry, you know, they don't give us necessarily the same opportunities based off the way that we look. And um, I don't think that it's fair because it's not that we're not talented or well-educated. It's just that we're not given the same opportunities. So, you know, I will always be an activist for the Afro-Latino community. Um, I, am, I proudly always say that I am Latina, I am Dominican, I am Afro-Latina. And um, and I'm glad to see and know that I've been able to inspire so many people. You know, that really bothers me if I, if I had to say because, I mean, to... You know, to be judged by the color of your skin to be because uh, not only a Latina, but uh, an Afro Latina like that really bothers me that, you know, more opportunities aren't afforded to someone like you who's clearly talented and uh, really perhaps not getting the opportunities that you deserve. Yeah, no, I get it. You know, uh, and like I said, you know, at this point, it's not even so much about being upset, but what can we do? Or what can I do? to make a difference, you know, and that's really what I care about at the end of the day, because this has been happening for years, you know, this is not a new thing, um, and I've lived it my whole life, so I just want to find ways to be able to encourage other Afro-Latinos to get into the entertainment industry, to fight for their place, um, to see more diversity when it comes to all these things, like, I guess, in magazines, soap operas, movies, you know, commercials, I need to see more diversity, and then that's when I'll be able to say, well, all my hard work was worthy. That the voice of Amara La Negra. Of course, you can check her out on Love and Hip Hop Miami as she joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And Amara, in the film Fall Girls, you play the role of Paige. Who is Paige? Well, Paige is somewhat um, in the comparison right to myself. Paige is a little bit more conservative. She's married. She's she loves her husband and. She's a smart, intelligent businesswoman, you know. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if this idea was her best idea, um, which you guys will have to watch the movie. But, um, but I know she has the best intentions, and um, she's really fun. She's really funny. You guys have to watch Fall Girls on BET um, January 12th. It's going to be so funny, so amazing. I can't wait to see it. We deal with so much love, and I am so grateful with Chris Doug. They gave me the opportunity. So they gave me the opportunity of um, of being part of this movie and, and not just being part of it, but also being the lead actress, you know. It was a big responsibility, a big role, my first movie on top of that. So, um you know, I'm just grateful to also have been able to work with so many amazing and talented actresses in this movie. So everything was just an amazing experience, and I absolutely can't wait to do it again. I never realized how much I love film, but I'm ready to go back. For this role, were you contacted? Did you audition for it? How did this role come about for you? Well, Chris already, uh, the director already had me in mind. 
So he had a vision for me. And when they hit me up, yeah, they sent me to do a little video, you know, a little audition video. Um, but I did that like I, like I do many. And I wasn't sure what would happen. And um, it was, you know, to my surprise when they were like, well, we need you here in two weeks. And, and you know, it all took place very quickly. Actress, singer, Amara La Negra joins us here on the program. You can follow her on Twitter at Amara La Negra, A-L-N. So speak a little bit, Amara, about how your music is progressing, had a chance to see um, and, and listen to what a bam, bam. But talk about how your music is progressing. Well, you know, um, I know that my fans want to see more music and they want to see a lot. You know, obviously everything in life is a working process and I am grateful for the stage that I'm in right now because I am juggling a lot of things all at the same time. Um, but my music is doing very well. This month I'm going to be putting on my EP called Under, um, Unstoppable and we just released the first single of the EP, Understanding. Um, the music video is out right now. You guys can go check it out on YouTube and, and Vivo. Um, it's Understanding by Amara La Negra. Um, you know, I'm doing features. I'm doing a lot of music. I'm always in the studio. I'm working on Latin music as well. Um, I'm working while I'm doing Dancing with the Stars in Spanish, Mira Quien Baila, doing music videos. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. Um, like I said, it's a working process, but my music will continue and I will continue to work. Yeah, interesting. How is Dancing with the Stars coming along? Well, yeah, um, yesterday was the first episode. Um, we had one week to rehearse and it was the first episode. It was a lot, a lot, a lot of work. But I am grateful because um, I've received so much support. Um, and in this case, I'm going to be supporting a foundation called the Dominican Women Development Center in New York that helps the women in Dominican Republic. Um, I believe in equality for women, women's rights, and um, anything that's, you know, against domestic violence and abuse, I'm totally there for it. Um, so I, I'm just grateful to be participating and being able to use my talent to support and help people that really need it. I know you're not heavy into sports, but, you know, being from and growing up in Miami, don't, don't you sort of cheer for, like, the Dolphins and the Heat? I mean, I'm always going to cheer for my people. You know, this is hometown. I'm from here. Anybody that's from Miami that's putting in that work and is being successful and is making it happen, they have my support. But um, I really be caught up, you know, with my work and all the things that I'm juggling all at the same time. I barely ever get to watch TV. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Amara La Negra A-L-N. She's a rising star. You can check her out each week on Love & Hip Hop Miami, Amara La Negra joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Amara, we appreciate the time. Continued success in all you do. Amen. Thank you so much for the support. Reality television star, actress, and singer, Amara La Negra. Still to come, Norfolk State head men's basketball coach, Robert Jones. But up next, Morehouse head men's basketball coach, Grady Brewer. After this small pause for the cause, this is From the Press Box to Press Row. Let's switch gears here on From the Press Box to Press Row, talk some basketball. And on the line, got a gentleman in his 19th season as the head men's basketball coach at Morehouse. He has 294 wins against 224 losses in that time. Of course, the Maroon Tigers are 15-2 and on the season. They're going to take on Clark Atlanta on Saturday. A really good rivalry there in Atlanta as Grady Brewer joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Brewer, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. 
Yep, glad to have you. I want to get your thoughts on the season. I mean, you guys are off to a really hot start, 15-2 and two against only two losses, and both the losses, as a matter of fact, in conference play. But your thoughts on the Maroon Tigers season as it stands right now? Well, I'm very proud of our guys at this point. Uh, we lost uh, two of our main scorers, our top two scorers from last year's team, and they both were guards, and they both were seniors. So that type of leadership and that type of scoring average was gone from last year's team. And so our guys have stepped up and, and did a, a, a good job so far this season. If anyone uh, at the beginning of the season would have told me that I would be 15-2 and two at this time, I would I would take it in a heartbeat. And so we got a lot of work to do. This game coming up on the, the uh, schedule is against uh, Clark Atlanta. And uh, we just got to play better and get better in practice and play better each time we play. 25-3 and three last year. You, of course, ultimately made it to the uh, regional play uh, in, in postseason regional play on last year. I mean, I look at your numbers um, and, and you're right. You're missing a couple of scores from last year, but your defense is there. Like you're holding opponents to less than 40 uh, percent shooting per game. They're only averaging about 64 points scoring per game. Do you have a team here that you feel is a national championship type of team? I think our team this year has more talent man to man, you know, uh, from one to 14. Uh, but uh, national title, the chemistry I'm, I'm concerned about at this time, uh, you know, not playing together like last year's team had two guys who had started at the guard position for four years. So the chemistry and the continuity of this team, uh, we still have a lot of work to do. But I think if we put our hats and hang our hats on defense and stopping our opponents, I'm always telling them if they don't score, we don't lose. So if we hang our head on defense and we continue to get better offensively, uh, they will have a shot. Our goal at the beginning of this year was to go further than what we did uh, in the playoffs uh, of the NCAA. And so uh, if we continue to win, we can get a good seed in the uh, NCAA tournament, uh, get a good seed in the uh, conference tournament, and then we you know, just go to work from there. You know, two teams that I had a chance to see play in person on Saturday, on uh, Wednesday, as a matter of fact, Winston-Salem State and Shaw, you beat them earlier in the season. Those are two good basketball teams uh, that you beat. So you won your first couple of uh, four games or so to start the season and then hit, you know, sort of a wall against a pretty good Miles team. So can you speak to how you were able to bounce back from that loss against Miles earlier in the season where they beat you by 18? Well, I, I put that loss on, on me, and I hope our kids learn from that loss. You know, I'm always trying to teach student-athletes uh, about uh, handling what they can control. And as a coach, uh, I didn't control myself, and so I was uh, ejected from the game. So that was part of it. You, you're not doing your job. You're worried about something that you can't control. That's a call. Once he calls it, he's not going to change it. And uh, – I thought that that hurt us because one of our other players was ejected later on. So that type of commotion early in the game, they, they threw me out in the first half when the score was 28-28. Uh, of course, I don't think I shouldn't have, I should have gotten thrown out of the game, but I did, and I, I made a mistake, and uh, 
I hope they learn from that mistake. So we bounced back from that, won eight in a row, and then we uh, were tripped up by Benedict, uh, a team that only had won two games of the seasons. So that's the immaturity of the team, I think. That's the uh, not having a sense of urgency uh, time and time again and uh, not understanding that at any given night, especially when you're rated nationally, every team is going to give you their best shot. And that's guys who haven't just been through uh, HBCU basketball and being put on a high level of play. Grady Brewer in his 19th, count them, 19th season. As the head men's basketball coach at Morehouse joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row, the Maroon Tigers are 15-2 and two on the season. Got a Saturday tilt uh, on the road, if you will. Hey, they go. They, they don't travel far at all to take on uh, Clark Atlanta. Personnel-wise, talk to us a little bit about some of the personnel. You know, Omar Austin leads you in scoring 14.5 points per game, 11.3 uh, rebounds, and then you sort of have a, a, a balanced scoring attack after that. Yes, I, I talk about balance. If you balance and if you can do one-third of scoring from uh, uh, any situation that you have, out-of-bounds plays, uh, uh, turnovers, possessions, and free throws, uh, you, you, you have that balance every every night. And so we're a balanced team basically in our scoring. We, we got close to four guys averaging in double figures. But Omar Austin, he's the guy. Uh, he, he, he leads us in, in scoring and rebounding, and, and uh, Michael Omer, who's a point guard, is a very good point guard and our leader on the floor as the point guard. So, um, and then we have Robert Andrews, who's coming on strong. He's a transfer from Oakland Community College out of Detroit. He's a junior, and he's shooting the ball very well. And um, um, uh, of course, uh, Tramel Gooden who played for us last year, he's our defensive stopper. He's our uh, uh, Rebus. He's the island. I call him the island because he's our defensive stopper. And you got Keith Hurd and Cairo uh, holding down the middle, uh, Cairo Whitfield holding down the middle for us. So we got some guys with experience who played last year. Um, James Walker is another one who, who uh, comes off the bench sometime and he starts sometime. He's a key guy because he's a stretch four. And he can uh, shoot the basketball well from the three. Uh, so we got a lot of uh, different weapons that we 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 have, but we got to make sure that they can do that continuously each game and not fall off when it comes to a game that they feel like is not important. Grady Brewer, the head men's basketball coach at Morehouse, joins us here on the program. If I look at Clark Atlanta, I mean they're nine and nine on the season. If I look at the the opponent, I mean I know you can't look at it this way, but I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, give this out for the audience. So if you look at what they did against Miles, they lost by three points, and I get it. You know, that you there were some extraordinary circumstances in your game against Miles, and they also beat Benedict, which you who you lost to. But fur- further than that, how do you make sure that your guys are focused for this game being the rivalry that it is? Well, I, I tell them every day the only thing you can control as a basketball player and a student athlete is to focus on the moment whatever happened in the past you can't change it it's it's history and what's going to happen in the future you don't know because it's the future but what you can control is the present and the present and they call it a present because it is a present the present on saturday at six o'clock for morehouse basketball is a present to be able to go over to play 
across town rivalry, Clark, Atlanta, uh, in front of a packed house. And that's your present. And do the best you can in that present. And then lastly, Coach Brewer, and we appreciate the time. Of course, you've spent your, you know, essentially your entire career uh, at Morehouse as a, as a player. Um, and then, of course, as a, as a now coach, and uh, you sit behind a, a couple of former coaches, one of them your former coach and Frank Forbes and then Arthur uh, McAfee. How does it feel to be able to have the success that you've had, your near 300 wins um, at your alma mater, Morehouse? Oh, man, I mean, it's a dream job. When I uh, received the head coaching job 19 years ago at Morehouse, uh, this is the only place I really wanted to be um, because of what Morehouse stands for and, and what it produces as uh, young African-American males in this country. And for me to have played there and was an assistant coach uh, for 13 years uh, uh, and then the head coach for 19 years, it's just a heck of a journey for me, and I'm so grateful that uh, Coach McAfee gave me the opportunity to be able to become the head coach and, and taught me. I mean, I can go back and remember when uh, a lot of young people don't know these guys who I'm going to name, uh, John McClendon, who uh, coached at uh, North Carolina Central for years and was one of the first black uh, African-American pro coaches he used to come by Coach McAfee's office along with when we would play Winston-Salem State, uh, Big House Games, who last year I had the privilege, it was unbelievable, to be named the national and the first HBCU coach to receive that award, the National Big House Games um, uh, Coach of the Year for Division Two. And when I received that award, I just thought about the first time as an assistant coach that we played Winston-Salem State. I was on the staff with Coach McAfee, and they played. And uh, I think we ended up upsetting them up in Winston-Salem State. And Coach McAfee and Coach Gaines went out to dinner with their wives, and I was single back then. And they were just talking basketball, and they told me, Coach, this is how it's supposed to be done. It says we want to beat each other's brains out when we're playing basketball, but after the game, we're friends. And, 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 and we, we, we're concerned for one another's uh, well-being. And this is how we want you to be. And so those things taught me. John McClendon would come up to our practices back when I was an assistant coach and draw up the fast break. You know, he, he was one of the guys who uh, was initiated the fast break in the four corners that North Carolina uses uh, with Dean Smith. And uh, so those memories, Jerry Johnson, uh, the longtime head coach at LeMoyne Owens, and, and Ben Jove, the longtime coach at Southern University in, in Tuskegee. Those were the guys that uh, kind of mentored me. And uh, they always told me, you don't have to go and travel and, and be uh, at one of the larger schools or one of the uh, predominantly white schools. He said, you can do your job here. And the main thing your job is is to coach these kids, not for the four years, but coach them for the 40 years and make them productive young men and leaders of this society and to send the elevator down to bring someone else up in doing that and so if somebody can say i did that for them then i'm appreciative and i'm grateful that i was able to do that grady brewer in his 19th season as the head men's basketball coach at morehouse joins us here on from the press box to press row the maroon tigers going to be in action on saturday big rivalry against clark atlanta coach brewer we appreciate the time thank you for the history lesson continued success to you and the maroon tigers Thank you, and go Maroon Tigers. 
It's no wonder why Grady Brewer is having the success that he is in fact having, having learned from the likes of Big House Gaines and so on and so forth. And uh, is doing a great job. As a matter of fact, 19 seasons, 294 wins as the head men's basketball coach at Morehouse. And by the way, a really big game against Clark on Saturday. That game going to be played at Clark. Still to come here on from the press box to press row. Norfolk State head men's basketball coach Robert Jones joins us next. The radio program that's talking sports from New York City to Cali and globally on the World Wide Web. From the press box to press row continues after this. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitby, the neighborhood original. Brought to you by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Visit them at HarlemBeerNC.com. Those who can, do. Those who can't, talk. Join Donald Ware in the conversation. From the press box to press row. Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row. The Norfolk State Spartans are 11-10 and 10 on the season, 6-0 and 0 in MEAC play. They've won six straight games. And in his sixth season as the head men's basketball coach at Norfolk State is Robert Jones. The Spartans going to be in action on Saturday hosting Maryland Eastern Shores. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Jones, welcome back to the program. Hey, how you doing? How's everything? Everything is good. For you, uh, you know, 11 and 10, you guys are, are on a roll, six games, uh, uh, six game winning streak, and of course, uh, 6 and 0 in MEAC play. Just want to kind of get your thoughts on the season to this point. Well, you know, it's been, uh, I mean, it's been, it's been rewarding, very rewarding recently, but I think at, at first, uh, you know, it was, we could have won some of those closer games that we had, and then, you know, we played a very, very tough schedule. It's not a schedule that jumps out at you as far as, you know, playing Kentuckys and North Carolinas and things like that. But we did play Michigan, and at one point we played on one of the closest teams in the country. Um, they were, you know, they were just beating everybody really, really bad. Um, but we play a lot of mid-major powers that are predicted to win their league. Like we played the we played Ryder, who's predicted, you know, at this point to probably win the MAC. We played uh, uh, Kent State. We played Stony Brook, and all those teams are looking to be in the NCAA tournament. And you know, we had an eight-point loss against. Uh, uh, Ryder, uh, I think a 10-point loss against um, Kent State. We had two single-digit losses against uh, Stony Brook. So, you know, a lot of those games we wish we could have back and um, could have even more more wins in our, in our overall win column. But uh, recently in MEAC play, you know, we've been playing very well. Uh, the kids are really, uh, you know, competing. They're really, I think they're learning from some of those mistakes that we've had earlier. Uh, or, or we, actually, to go back to the non-conference season, we did have a big win against UTEP. Yeah. That was uh, that was good down in their in their tournament. Yeah. But um, you know, I think we learned some of our lessons in the non-conference season, and you know, we're playing pretty well right now in the conference season. Yeah, big win against UTEP. Another big win uh, against a non-conference opponent. 
uh, it's it's you know I got to get used to saying this was was the win against Hampton the double overtime win um, against Hampton. Talk about that game and how big uh, how big a victory uh, that was for the Spartans. The game was was big for us. I mean, of course they're a rival. Um, you know, with them leaving the league, you know, uh, going to the Big South, uh, which is you know, in some people's eyes, perceived a better conference than. Um, that was actually a big win for us, you know, to get that win because Hampton is predicted, I think, third over there in the, in the Big South in their first year, um, and they're doing actually okay in, in, in so far through conference play. So that was a, a good win for us. And then it was a double overtime kind of gritty game. Um, you know, we had three starters foul out. Uh, some of the guys on the bench really stepped up, and then our kid Nick Thomas played a, an amazing game. So we were able to win that game in double overtime. You know, last season, if I can take you back to 2017, 2018, maybe not so great for you. You you started the season off losing a bunch of games and sort of rebounded during MEAC play. But, you know, w- what is the difference? Why are you having so much more success this season than you did last? I mean, honestly, um, it's similar to the to the year that we actually won the championship with uh, Kyle O'Quinn. You know, I would know we're a long way away from that right now, but um, – you know, the year before that, we had a bunch of juniors, uh, and we went 12 and 20 that season, uh, which a lot of people might not remember or, or think about. But then, you know, that nucleus stayed together throughout those experiences and those those, those uh, negative experiences that we had that season. The next year, we were able to go 26 and 10 and win the uh, the MEAC title, and of course, pull up the, the the upset with Missouri. So it was, it's similar with this group because we had a, a lot of continuity of the core guys. Now we do have. A, we do have some new guys that we had to integrate into what we're trying to do, but uh, there was a good continuity of the core guys that, you know, went 14 and 19. And, and, you know, that was my first uh, under 500 overall season. So that was a little disappointing for me. Um, But I think with that being said, those guys learned some valuable lessons last year and now it's coming together this year. That's the voice of Robert Jones, the head men's basketball coach at Norfolk State in his sixth season. Joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Run. Coach Jones, when you go out and recruit, I mentioned sixth season as the head coach, but you've been at Norfolk State for 12 seasons. So when you go out and and recruit, um, you know, Kyle O'Quinn still doing his thing in the NBA. You know, how, how big is that to be able to say that when you go into a recruit's home and you're trying to continue to build that program at MEAC, in the MEAC, um, and be one of the top upper echelon teams in the MEAC, how important is it that you can say, hey, we got an NBA player in Kylo Quinn, who, by the way, was a really good player here at Norfolk State? Yeah, and the best thing about Kylo Quinn is, like you said, he's still in the league. And then, two, um, this is not a situation that just happened. That happened back in 1999 or something like that. This happened back in 2012. So it's still kind of recent, you know, for everybody. Um, so it's, uh, it's definitely easier to go in someone's house because every, every kid wants to play in the NBA. And, um, you know, the old thing most coaches say, hey, you, you can make it from anywhere. And uh, a lot of players don't believe that fully. But when we could actually say that, hey, that is true, you can make it from anywhere, and we just had a kid that did do it, you know, seven years ago at this point, then, um, you know, I think the kids believe a little bit more and they're, they're, they're willing to listen to what you have to say in your recruiting pitch. Yeah, talk about the game upcoming on Saturday. Um, against Maryland Eastern Shore and maybe some of the challenges that the Hawks present? Uh, the Hawks, I think, are uh, way better than their 1-5 conference record. Um, they have some some pieces. I mean, they have a big guy in 35 was pretty good. They have a kid in number 15, Jones, who, who gave us 21 points last year when we played those guys. 
And then they have uh, Ryan Andino who came back from injury. He was MEAC Rookie of the Year a few seasons ago, and they got a solid point guard. So, you know, I think if you present those, if you if you just close your eyes and present that to a coach that say that, you know, you'll have a good four-man, a good five-man, a point guard, and some, you know, a good two-guard, then I think they'll take that team any day of the week, you know. But um, for whatever reason, they haven't put it together, and, and we're hoping that they don't put it together on Saturday. And, uh, you know, so it, it presents a challenge that, you know, they're not a one-in-five team. And sometimes psychologically for your guys, you know, I mean, they're all kids at the end of the day. you got to get them um, revved up, you know, about playing a team that they perceive is not as a good team. But, you know, from a coaching standpoint, uh, they do have some pieces, and, they're, they're, you know, they're a pretty solid uh, ball club. You know, you obviously you want to remain undefeated. You want to win this game against Maryland Eastern Shore. But how important uh, is it further the fact that, hey, we need to we need to play well. We need to get this victory because our next three games are on the road. I mean, we were talking about that today. You know, we said that, uh, you know, we're fortunate enough to have a home game Saturday, but then uh, we have a really tough five-game stretch coming up. And, and like you said, three out of five on the road. But, uh, you know, those three – you know, you got Howard, which was picked uh, I forgot. You know, he picked up there high at the beginning of the year, preseason rankings. Then you got Bethune-Cookman, which is always a battle. They were preseason number one. And, and FAMU is a very improved ball club. And those three games are on the road. And then you come back home, and it's really not like a home cooking because then you play two of the better teams in the league in North Carolina Central and A&T. So, you know, we have to try to get past Saturday. And then that five-game stretch that's coming up is going to really determine where we really are as a, as a, as a team. You, if I look at your personnel, I mean, it's a, it's sort of a balanced scoring deal. I mean, obviously, Nick Thomas leads you in scoring at 13.9 points per game. Derek Jamerson, boy, he's shooting 47% from three-point range. And then it's, you know, you're averaging in excess of 73 points per game, and it's more of a balanced deal. So, you know, talk about some of the personnel and how you, you know, you have some guys that uh, uh, obviously that are stars for you, if you will, but also a, a lot of role players that help you to have the success that you're having. Well, the, the one thing that's, that's good about our team is that it's well-balanced. You know, um, Nick Thomas might be our leading scorer overall, but he's not our leading scorer in conference, actually. Derrick Jameson is. And then, um, you know, for two games in a row, Nick didn't really play that well. But then the, the next two games, he played pretty well. And, um, you know, even against Bethune, we have four starters in foul trouble. And uh, we had a kid come off the bench who was actually a walk-on. And Keontae Chavis come over and have 15 points for us. So, you know, I think that we have a – a well-balanced team, and um, I think that's one of our, our our strengths, that this year we don't have to rely on one or two people to do it. You know, I think that um, at one point during the MEAC season, we almost had six guys in double figures. Um, so, you know, it, it makes it harder to scout. You know, you can't run, you know, kind of um, rinky-dink schemes like boxing ones and things like that because, okay, you can take away one guy, but then, you know, you still got five others that can, that can or four others on the floor that can do something with the basketball. So, you know, it makes teams play us a little bit more straight up than uh, maybe other opponents. And so, uh, you know, I really like our depth with our team. No question about it. Lastly, for Robert Jones, the head men's basketball coach at Norfolk State, who joins us here on the program. Uh, coach Jones, 12 seasons, you know, at Norfolk State. Six of those are now in your sixth season as the head, uh, of course, basketball coach. You know, w- what does that mean to you to be able to have that longevity uh, at Norfolk State and continue to be able to build uh, this program and of, uh, to be able to continue to build this program? You know, uh, you know, somebody the other day was just joking with me and said, uh, you know, 12 seasons, wow, you've been there a long time. I guess you're doing something right because most people don't last at one place 12 seasons. Right. You know, and, uh, and the way I look at it is um, I kind of look at it. I don't look at it 12 seasons as a whole. I look at it like how you said. You know, I feel like it's almost 
jobs. You know, I spent six years as an assistant. Now this is my sixth year as a head coach. Um, but, you know, we just continue to try to just do things the right way and just, just build a brand that's formidable not only within the conference but throughout the mid-major uh, in the country. So, um, you know, we try to get quality student-athletes uh, that can do things both on and off the court. And, um, you know, and of, of course, you know, try to win some games. You know, um, I'm, I'm creeping up on my 100th win, which, which seems like when I first got the job, it seemed like we was going to be so – uh, so far away, but with uh, some some success, you know. Now, um, you know, I'm two thirds of the way through my sixth season, and I'm, I'm uh, you know creeping up on I'm two wins away from the hundred. So it's, uh, it's like it's just a, a blessing every day I wake up um, to be the leader of, of, of the basketball program at, at the North at Norfolk State Institution. Um, and you know, uh, it's just it's just it's just a dream come true in a sense. You know, it's only 353. Of, of us in the world, Division One head coaches, so I, I cherish that opportunity and I, I respect that opportunity all the time. Norfolk State, 11 and 10 on the season, 6 and 0 in MEAC play, going to host Maryland Eastern Shore on Saturday. And in his sixth season as the head men's basketball coach of the Spartans, is Robert Jones joins us here. And from the press box to press row, Coach Jones, as always, we appreciate the time. Continued success to you and the Spartans. Thank you. I appreciate you. Norfolk State head men's basketball coach Robert Jones. Got to get ready to get out of here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Originally, we were scheduled to have Indiana Pacers coach Nate McMillan on the program. Of course, Victor Oladipo, a season-ending injury. Wow, that's going to really hurt the Pacers who were playing really well. They ultimately won that game on Wednesday night. We're scheduled to have them in the next couple of weeks, maybe the first uh, week in February, so we'll see how the Pacers are doing uh, at that time. Also, Box to Row going to be at the Daytona 500. We're going to do a live broadcast from the Daytona 500 on Saturday, February 16th. Going to share some more details with you about that. Also, during the CIAA tournament that Saturday, March 2nd, we're doing a live show in Charlotte. I'll share more details with you about that as the weeks come. Morehouse head men's basketball coach Grady Brewer, Norfolk State head men's basketball coach Robert Jones, and Amara La Negra, thank you for joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications.